listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hi, everyone. How are you doing out there? What's helping you maneuver through this time? There are so many parallels to grief in this COVID-19 coronavirus global health crisis. Things are uncertain and changing day to day and sometimes by the hour. We're cycling through a lot of intense emotions, fear, sadness, frustration, and sometimes joy in seeing how people are adapting, innovating, and offering one another compassion. There's the grief that comes with this pandemic, and there's the grief that so many are already carrying. There's also forecasting the grief that is likely to be part of so many people's lives. It's a lot, and with it comes the need for support and community whatever that can look like in the midst of needing to be physically distant from one another. That's something that we at Grief Out Loud and the Dougie Center want to provide. Even though our in-person support groups are currently paused, we are available by phone or email for virtual support. We have a number of resources we're putting together to help grieving people navigate the complexity of grief in this landscape. One of those is a tip sheet that I'll link to in the show notes. I imagine it's just the first in a series, so stay tuned and check our social media and website for updates. So what we're saying is we're here and we'll be here to offer support in whatever way we can. You can reach us at help at Dougie.org, or you can call us at 503-775-5683, or you can email me directly at griefoutloud at Dougie.org. Okay, that's enough business. Today's episode is with Leslie Barber, who some of you will be familiar with as she was a guest on episode 128. In that episode, we talked about grieving the death of her husband, Steve, parenting their daughter, Emily, and starting her company, Grief Warrior, which creates customizable gift boxes you can send to grieving friends and family. This time around, Leslie and I talk all about what this pandemic is bringing up for her and her grief, and what's helping her and her daughter get through each day. Leslie, thank you so much for being a repeat guest on Grief Out Loud today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Jana, to talk to you. And listeners, some of you might remember Leslie from the last time that she was on Grief Out Loud talking about her experience of being a grieving mom and a grieving widow and her um, the work she's doing to support other people in the world who are also grieving. But for those of you who haven't been introduced to Leslie before, Leslie, could you give us just a little background on who you are and kind of what brings you to this work? Yeah, sure. So like you said, uh, my husband, Steve, died uh, four and a half years ago from cancer, and that flipped my life upside down. Our daughter was six years old at the time. You know, I, I was working in corporate America. Over time, I shifted to uh, working as a coach, and most recently, started a company called Grief Warrior with the mission of bringing recognition, respect, and reconnection to the grieving. So I want to take some of the pain, mistakes, 
challenges, learnings that I had from my experience and bring them to more people. Yeah, I'm so I'm so grateful, you know, for the episode that we recorded in the past and then also for, you know, Grief Warrior that you started and and all of that you're that you're doing to try to support people. And that's why I wanted to reach out to you today to talk about grief like how are we grieving in the midst of this coronavirus? COVID-19, there's so many words, pandemic, global health crisis, I don't even know really how Mm. to refer to it. And there's a lot out there right now on like, how do we manage our anxiety? How do we plan? How do we help our kids? And I was thinking about, you know, there's ways that this experience really overlaps with grief, like past grief, current grief, potential future grief. And also thinking about like all the feelings that are coming with worry about health and safety, worry about getting enough supplies, how are we transitioning our workspaces, the economy, like there's just so many things to be thinking about. And then I thought, oh my gosh, what so many people in the world are experiencing is exactly what people in grief experience when their person dies and wondering how, how have you been feeling in the last week and how did that feel similar or different from your, your own grief? Oh my gosh, it has felt so reminiscent, right, of the experience that we had, especially the experience of when Steve was dying, the massive consolidation that happened in my own life, right, when he was dying. I stopped socializing. I stopped volunteering. Over time, I stopped working. Um, I stopped really interacting with other people that didn't bring me some sort of help for Steve. And so everything in my world consolidated to saving him. And then it was happening to me alone. Now it's happening to the entire world. So the entire world is grieving the lives we used to live right now. And for many of us, it's on top of the very personal grief from the death of a loved one. So we're all grieving the lives we had before coronavirus. We're grieving jobs we loved. Many people are losing their jobs right now. We're grieving the comfort that a hospital bed will always be there for us if we get hurt or sick. That's something I take for granted. It may not be right now. So we're grieving kind of a a fluidity even of our bodies, making sure we don't get hurt. Um, I'm definitely grieving hugging my friends and being hugged you know, as an only parent of a tween, you know, my, my tween's not so into hugging me right now. And I'm just, you know, I'm grieving hugging my brother and, and the people I love, you know, right now, oh my gosh, am I ever grieving school? Um, I'm grieving our familiar routine. And so Emily and I have just spent the last few days kind of flailing as we try to figure out our new normal. And I know so many people who this really, really resonates with. And the people who are grieving, my, my friends, my widow friends, even, even clients of mine are saying loud and clear, welcome to my world, people. This is, what, this is what we've been living through on our own. Yeah, so there's that combination of like, oh, we're back here again. I'm not getting access to the things that feel supportive in my grief. And oh, now the rest of the world is maybe getting a, a window into what my what my life has been like for the last four years. Absolutely. And that can be a little frustrating. So I want to put that out there, that if grieving people are like wanting to roll your eyes and say, you know, finally you people kind of get it a little bit, go for it. I, I certainly have felt that myself. Um, those of us who have been through a very significant death, 
our entire world stops. Like everything we knew. I mean, I often say that I died with Steve because the world I, as I knew it, the perspective I had on the world, the safety, the freedom, the comfort, the peace, that all ended when Steve died. And over time, I've been able to find my new level of comfort with those things, my new normal, if you will. But for at least a few years, I absolutely was trying to figure out just how to survive, just how to get through the day. And that is what people are feeling right now. They're feeling, how do I get through this day? What do I do with my kids? What do I do about my work? What do I do about food? Jokingly, what do I do about toilet paper, right? We're all kind of figuring out how do we live in this new normal after all of this consolidation and fear and anxiety, you know, comes to bear. So in that realm, I'm, I'm curious, how has, you know, going through Steve being ill, Steve dying, parenting your daughter, Emily, how has that prepared you in, a, in kind of a strange way for what we're going through right now? Well, it has. I mean, I've lived this. I've been through this kind of fear, terror even. I remember the terror that took over my body at times while Steve was sick, the anxiety um, that was so palpable. I could feel it in my body, my chest just tightening up out of sheer fear of what was coming ahead of us. And so much of that was the unknown. I know now that bad things happen. Um, I didn't know that before Steve died, honestly. I lived in the same culture as everyone else that denies death and pretends that we're going to live forever, and I embraced it. And when Steve died, everything stopped. And yet, Jana, I have to say, I'm still alive. I'm here right now, four and a half years later, when I didn't think I would be. I didn't think I would be. I thought, I mean, that was a stretch goal for me. Mm. The idea of even being alive in a few months, it just, I, I didn't know how I was going to live through his death. So I know that I can go to the depths of hell in my life and at some point find a reason to live again. And a lot of people, I think, in our communities are starting to figure this out for the first time. They're starting to, to kind of acknowledge that death and grief are absolutely a part of the human experience. And, you know, I will say some are still in denial. I look at the, you know, the beaches in, in some parts of our country and think, really? Like, wow, okay. Um, so it's, you know, we're all on a journey and they're not yet starting theirs. Um, but others, you know, are really getting hit very hard with this realization that, that life is very fragile and that death is a part of our life and human experience. The other thing I've been thinking about is, you know, when we're going through really tough, stressful times, we want to turn to our people, the people who are our main supports. And I'm, what, I'm thinking a lot about people who have had partners, parents, children die, and maybe those were the people they would have turned to for support in the midst of this really intense time. And wondering what that's been like for you of not having Steve there. I miss hugs. I just miss hugs, Jana. <laughs> I really miss hugs. That's the one way we're oh very different, Leslie. That's the one thing I'm not missing. 
I really do. When Steve died, he was he gave, gave such good hugs. And I I've attracted friends in my life who give good hugs. Like my like I said, you know, Emily's eleven. She, she doesn't want to hug her mother right now. And that's okay. It's a it's a phase. That's just fine. But that kind of physical touch, um, you know, a lot of times I I found that physical touch, honestly, in massages or in um facials or or getting a pedicure you know things like that because that that physical touch is so important and um and that's not happening right now right i'm yelling to my friends across the street and that's how it needs to be but i think it's very real to acknowledge that now some like you mentioned may not be missing <laughs> that at all um but i think because i've been missing it for five years it's it's very it's very real like my my good friends are the people who give me these amazing hugs and that calms my central nervous system. So I've been having to turn to other things, right? I've been fortunate enough to turn to Zoom. I've been able to connect with, ironically, even more people over texting and, and voicemails and, and video technology. I had a call the other night with four friends and it was just so uplifting, you know, to see their faces, to connect with them, even through video technology. And I want to do as much of that as I can. I, highly recommend that anyone who is grieving, if, you know, to, to reach out or accept others reaching out to you. None of us need to be doing this alone. We actually probably need to be over connecting and over indexing on communication with each other. You mentioned something really interesting around how, you know, missing physical touch and how you, what you would turn to, to cope with that, like getting a massage or, you know, other, other self-care strategies that would bring you into physical contact with other people. And I think about routine and ritual and how important those can be for people who are grieving of like, this is what I do in the morning. This is what I do in the afternoon. This is what I do to create some sense of uniformity, some predictability, some sense of control in this time in my life that feels really out of control. And, and then thinking about people who are grieving and these additional disruptions to maybe a self-care plan or a coping plan that they had in place. And so I appreciate what you talked about of finding other ways to substitute for that. Are there other aspects of kind of your grief coping ritual routines that are being disrupted right now? Absolutely. And it's interesting what you were saying about plans because after Steve died, so Steve was sick for five months. I could not plan in the future. Portland Public Schools, we were going back April 1st. Now school is canceled until April 28th. And many people are saying it may not even go back at all. We don't know. We just have no idea where this is all headed. And nobody can tell us. There isn't a crystal ball, unfortunately, that's going to tell us what will happen next. And so because of that, um, I think grievers who, who have also struggled with the future plans, like grievers really are, are diving into like, what, what do I need to do in this moment? Like what's going to happen in the next hour? We've done that before because of the personal grief. So the struggle is very real. I mean, routine is so precious to families, right? Routine is really critical. Kids need routine um, and structure in their lives. And it's, it's just been a process of trial and error. My middle schooler wants a lot of input into her day, but honestly, left to her own devices, she'd be on TikTok for 10 hours. So, <laughs> you know, I've got to work with her on that. And we're negotiating, we're developing 
plans, but we're doing it day by day. We're doing it every evening for the next day. That's as far as I can go. And that's part of grief. Grief closed down my future. And I really can only think about today and be in the present, be right here, be in my body in this moment. It's interesting to think about how we can stay short term and still create ritual and routine that are comforting to us without trying to forecast too far into the future because things feel so uncertain right now. We had a trip planned in April that had to be canceled. I immediately got on email and just started a conversation with my friends to say, when are we rescheduling? It's, it's not that we're defi- you know, necessarily going to put a date, but just having the possibility that that trip will happen in the future gives me something to look forward to. So I think we all need that. We all need something to look forward to. It just might not have to be six months in advance. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's the next hour. And that's okay to have that. We've got that global consolidation going on right now to have something today that feels good, um, that we know uh, will be kind of a a self-care or um, giving yourself grace in a moment. Leslie, you talked a little bit already about that, the isolation piece of how not being able to hug your friends, not being able to interact with them beyond video chat or yelling at them from across the street, six and a half feet away. I was thinking the other night about, oh my gosh, for people who someone, if someone dies in their life during this global health crisis, during this time of physical distancing, what that's going to mean for the rituals and the ways that we traditionally gather to honor someone or to support people in grief. And, and wondering if you've had conversations with people that are thoughts around, you know, what do we do if someone, someone dies during this and we can't gather for a memorial service, we can't go over to the grieving family's house and spend time with them and just be there with them. It's happening, Jana. I was just in touch with someone this morning on that very topic. Her grandfather in Israel died and she's not able to travel there for his service or to mourn with her family. And she's devastated, devastated by his death, but also devastated by the forced isolation that not being able to be with her other family members who loved him, that that brings. So this global grief really compounds the personal grief exponentially, right? The global shutdown, the global consolidation, it multiplies the shutdown and isolation of our own personal grief. Now, some folks who've been grieving for a while, you know, we're experts in social distancing, right? So for the first year, few years after Steve died, I social distanced voluntarily. I didn't know that it was called social distancing, but that's what I was doing. You know, I panicked around too many people. I avoided dinner parties, gatherings. I didn't go to, you know, church services. I didn't do a lot of those more public things. If there was going to be a a group bigger than four, I was out. I just couldn't um, engage with, with that many people. So I'm really hearing that from a lot of other grievers that they're already experts in social distancing and they have it totally nailed. Mm. But it's a little different when it's forced on you. When it's forced on you, it can be very anxiety producing because I think even those of us who did social distance, we had the people that we could connect to, who could see us and hear us. And we had those ways that we could get the nourishment that we needed from physical connection. You know, my family of two is feeling really tiny right now. 
to be honest. Well, and it brings up a great point about choice and how so often in grief, we don't have, we don't have a choice about the fact that our person is dying. We don't have a choice about how this grief is affecting us. And, you know, in grief, when you're like, okay, groups of four too much for me, I'm going to choose not to engage in that versus guidelines from without saying you can't engage with that right now for the sake of your own health and the health of the people in in your community. It's a really different situation. Absolutely. And choices are being taken away from us left and right. You know, I, I didn't have the choice of Steve dying. Cancer took that choice from me. And, you know, obviously people who are losing um, loved ones to COVID-19 do not have any choice in that. And worse, they don't maybe have, they maybe don't have even any choice in being with them through this illness. There are people who are being kept out of hospitals and nursing um, homes and, you know, the, the forced separation is agonizing and, you know, terrifying for a lot of people. So losing that, that choice, that freedom that we value so much in our culture is its own form of grief. That's why everyone is grieving right now because things are constantly changing. We're, we're about to, um, so I've, I've been told, um, possibly get a shelter in place order here in, in Portland. I, I know it's in San Francisco and, and other cities as well. And that will limit even further, right? Our choice of being able to connect with the people we love and go to the places that bring us, um, you know, that bring us nourishment and do the things that we want to do. And so we're going to have to shift our focus, shift our focus from out in the world to our own homes and shift our focus and our framing. And I had to do that after Steve died. That is a part of grief that your perspective on the world changes. And over time, we can find beauty in that. It's very hard to find beauty in that right after it's happened. I'm about to ask you a question about you know, what's the best way for people who want to support their friends who are already grieving during this time. But as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, the, the people, (laughs) the people out in the world who maybe don't have personal experience with grief should be reaching out to the grievers in their life for advice on (laughs) how to navigate this time. Because as you're talking, it's like so much competence and so much experience with limited choice, renegotiating, innovating, recalibrating our entire lives. So Anyways, I don't want to flood grievers with people asking them, what should I do? But it's really, really appreciating the way you're talking about that, that competence that you've developed in these types of situations. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a reach out with the expectation of them reaching back. We sometimes think all communication has to be two way. It doesn't. We can acknowledge and connect with grieving people without forcing them to make a phone call back. You know, when I, when people have asked me, like, what can they do? I tell them to over-communicate with grievers, but do it in a way that does not force the griever to do anything in response. It could be a text telling the person that you're thinking of them or that you love them with a, a little asterisk of no response needed. It could be a voicemail, um, just letting them know that, that you're there and that you're there for the long haul and acknowledging that this must be extremely challenging for them. You know, if they're, if the grievers are up for it, schedule a video conference or a conversation from across the street, but don't force anybody to respond and try to lessen the expectation that they will. We, we want people to be giving their love without the strings attached, like just 
giving, leaning in to the grieving person by, by giving that love and then let that grieving person respond in the way that feels safe and useful for them. I've been thinking too about the power of mail in this time. Mm. I mean, right now the postal service is still working, still sounds like it is safe to be sending and receiving mail and kind of the beauty in, in the long pause that can happen in terms of receiving communication that way without the expectation of an immediate response, the way it might be to a text or an email and that there can be a lot of invitation to folks who are grieving if they're receiving the written word that way, where it's like, Oh, thank you for the, the reach out, the connection, and they can respond if they choose to in their own time. Absolutely. Um, I received a few letters this week and it totally made my week. Um, I forget, you know, how lovely it is to receive mail because oftentimes it's bills, right? (laughs) Right. But it's so lovely. It's so lovely to receive the written word from other people, you know, on, on the grief warrior side, that's one of the reasons we created the gift packages that we sell. It's a wonderful way for a griever to receive something that acknowledges where they're at, because that's really for me, what it's all about, finding and meeting people where they are and supporting them in that moment. And in this moment on March 19th, is Grief Warrior still available for folks if they want to purchase a gift box to send to someone in their life who's grieving? It is. Yeah, we are absolutely shipping and, um, you know, taking all the precautions that we need to on our end. We do ship U.S. Postal Service, so take that into consideration. But Absolutely. I mean, the Grief Warrior boxes are here to bring that kind of acknowledgement and love to somebody who needs it. A lot of us need it right now. So shifting topics a little bit, been thinking about grieving and parenting and grieving and parenting in this time of of COVID-19 coronavirus. How are you carrying your grief, worries about this time and parenting your daughter, Emily? Uh, Oh my gosh, I'm carrying it, Jana. (laughs) I'm carrying it. It's like this big backpack on me. Uh, not really sure how well I'm doing, to be honest, but um, I've been really anxious, honestly. And so my, you know, first I've been trying to manage my own anxiety, my own fears. I'm an empath. I, I take a lot of energy from other people. So I've really, you know, had to focus on that. I've been meditating two to three times a day to get me through. Emily has been observing that my behavior has changed quite a bit to accommodate these times. And we're talking about that. I'm also giving myself as much grace as I can. You know, I started the week feeling so much pressure to schedule and ensure that she's learning and to not just waste this time. And on day four, I've really loosened that up a lot to focus on what she enjoys. And that was, you know, that was really helpful for me. Like, let's not focus on what school teaches her at this very moment. Let's focus on things that she enjoys learning. And so we've actually broken it down to kind of five areas, um, learning, movement, creativity, connection, and home projects. And so each day she's kind of giving, you know, we're creating a schedule for her um, and for me on those topics. And that has made life easier. Like she wants to learn French right now. So awesome. She's doing Duolingo and she loves reading. And so she's actually going through my books to see if, you know, she's kind of done with her books. Are there any interesting books that mom has that I could, I can read? She's loving music. 
So she is making playlist after playlist after playlist. All of those things are good for her brain. All of those things are good, you know, for her soul. And so we're just trying to do the best that we can in, in this situation. And I'm really focused on giving myself space and grace to take care of me because as an only parent, she needs me around. She needs me to not get sick. She needs me to not have a heart attack. She needs me to not lose my ability to cope. She needs me to be here. Speaking of that idea of like your daughter needs you to be here and to not, you know, get sick or be diminished in your capacity to care for her in this time, are you thinking differently or putting different plans in place in terms of contingencies around care for Emily? Oh, that's a good question. I already had done that after Steve died. So everything is already set up who she goes to, you know, if I were to die, my will is set up, our life insurance is set up, all of that I took care of right after Steve died. If any listeners do not have those pieces, please, please, will, directive, you know, healthcare directive and life insurance, please make that a priority because that is so important, Jana. And as an only parent, um, I think any only parents have probably put most of that in place for their children, not only for the reason that they would ask. I mean, Emily asked me as soon as Steve died, you know, what, what if you die? Who takes care of me? Kids want to know that. So I've been as open with her now as, as I have been in the past. Yeah, it sounds like another one of those aspects where grieving, grieving parents may be a step ahead of the game of the rest of us who are catching up with those ideas of putting plans in place. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's another like, welcome to my world, people. <laughs> like, we've already got a lot of this put in place. We've been living this way since our loved ones died, especially, you know, in, in the cases where it's a partner, because suddenly, you know, everything is on me. When people talk about the stress or concern they have of being cooped up in a house with, you know, with their kid for, you know, six weeks, I'm like, welcome to my world, people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't had an ability to take a break unless I get help from someone else. And so that brings all of its own challenges, but there's certainly challenges that anyone grieving has already been through. Leslie, you mentioned meditating a couple times a day. I'm curious as we come kind of to the end of our conversation, what are some other tangible things you're doing each day? Like what's helping right now? Well, that is helping so much. I was not a meditator really before. Like I think I was a, a wannabe meditator. I would think about it a lot and not necessarily do it. I have known since last Thursday morning when the stock market dropped, you know, what, 2,000 points in five minutes, um, I felt my entire body just really tighten. And I started the meditation then. And I don't plan for it. I just am like, oh, got to go meditate right now. Like, I just have to do it. I'm using Insight Timer, which is a an, an, uh, free app. It's really helpful because there's, you know, other, there's visualizations that they do. I have a hard time just being. Mm. <laughs> I need somebody to talk to me while I'm being. <laughs> and so that's been really huge. You know, the other thing I've done, Jana, is I've significantly decreased the amount of time I interact with the news. Right now I'm checking it about twice a day and that's it. Um, I've removed myself from text groups that are sending out news 
so that I can better control what comes to me. Look, I recognize I have privilege to be able to do that. So my heart is really with the people on the front lines who aren't getting to do that the way I am. And I'm not closing an eye to it. I just am controlling for myself so that I can prepare myself to really be able to take the information in, in a way that does not send my anxiety and fear, you know, absolutely through the roof. I also have found that one of my coping mechanisms is to be as prepared as possible. So I have been out grocery shopping and I haven't done it in the last couple of days, but just really preparing us for a couple of weeks if we need it. This is good to have anyway in Portland where they say we may have an earthquake, but it's been calming for me to feel like if we had to completely shelter in place that we would be okay with that. So preparation, meditation, and having some control and choice over how, how and when and how much news you're taking in. I think so. You know, I have a lot of friends who are like, oh, I've got to watch it every minute. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think we can be choiceful in when it is that we interact. It will enable us to prepare ourselves, but not, you know, let the terror just constantly seep in. I, I know for myself that my anxiety just gets too high and I really want to stay present and in the moment right now. That's the best thing I can do for me and for Emily. I've been thinking about how people responding to this global health crisis parallels so much how people respond to grief and how different it is for everyone. And, you know, read so many articles and I'm sure there's a bunch of podcasts of like, here's what to do and always remembering tailor it to what works for you. And like you mentioned, have so much compassion because I was talking with a friend about the news piece the other day and there's someone who's like once a day, that's all I can handle. And I was like, oh, I was noticing for me, I tried it both ways. And if I wait till the end of the day to read, so much has happened. I feel blindsided by it. And so I take it in small doses throughout the day. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I already knew that. Oh, yeah, I already knew that. So not at the end of the day, yes. I'm like, what happened? So, yeah. you know, listeners out there, like any any place you're turning to for suggestions on how to be coping with this and how to be navigating your grief in this, like adapt to whatever's going to work for you, your culture, your economic situation, your family constellation, like adapt. There's no one size fits all when it comes to this. Oh, I could not agree with that more. You know, as a grief coach, I often, every single one of my clients I've done this with, I have them put their hand over their heart in a moment of um, anxiety or grief or stress or fear and just close their eyes and ask themselves, what do I need right now? And something will come up and then you ask yourself, what else? And you keep what elseing yourself until you have a sense of what it really is that you need right in that moment. This is not about what does my child need? What does Jana need? What does my friend need? This is about what does Leslie need? And only I will know that. And only when I get to that need that I actually have, can I actually make myself feel better. Uh, well, Leslie, I think that's the perfect place to to end our conversation because what I really needed was to talk to you today. So thank you for, oh, for being yay, on the show with thank me you. again. And oh, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for asking, Jana. I love, love talking with you for sure. And Leslie, can you remind listeners of the best place to find you and to find Grief Warrior? Absolutely. Our website is agriefwarrior.com. And then our social media handle is agriefwarrior everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
Well, thank you again, Leslie. I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me today. Well, thank you for doing this, Jana. I I really appreciate it. And listeners, thank you for tuning in for the first remote recording of Grief Out Loud in our new home studio. So if the sound is a little bit different, that's what's happening. You may have heard my dog, Captain, snortling in the background there. I was trying to keep him separate. Doggy Center's here. We're here to support you. We'll be available by phone and by email, and we're getting really creative about other ways to be providing more grief support. We'll, We'll be putting out Grief Out Loud as regularly as we can. So reach out to us if you need some extra support and reach out if you just want to talk with me about the show. I'm super excited. We have our official email address now. It's griefoutloud at dougie.org. It's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. So send me an email. I'd love to connect with you. Uh, And as always, thank you for listening. And I hope you'll join us again next time.